they have their seats, let's have an added word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that as we gather here today to remember his humbleness, his willingness to lay aside his crown of life so that we could have the crown of life, his willingness to lay aside his divinity and become fully God yet fully man. Help us to find ways as we look at this story, to look in the mirror and to see how we can lay aside ourselves. We can die daily, even today, and that today will be a day of salvation for each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't imagine a communion service other than one in, during the time of Paul that would have been more awkward, if you will. If you think about what was at the Last Supper, a time when it should have been a celebration, a time when they were trying to commemorate the Passover, a time when God had spared Israel, if you will, had granted life instead of death, a time when a lamb had died for their sins, and yet here they are in a room. Some are very greedy in that room, one of which is even willing to betray their, I guess you would call him pastor, their rabbi, for the sake of some coin. Others who are angry at one another for wanting to be near Jesus, closest to Jesus and his coming kingdom. Others who are jealous, especially since somebody wasted a whole jar of perfume on Jesus, and they could have used that for themselves. Maybe even a little bit of lust and other hidden, cherished sins the darkest of which was betrayal, all at an event that was supposed to commemorate freedom from those things. And yet, those things were harbored in their hearts. And as I thought about this text in John 13, I thought, well, is it possible that we would have some of those same struggles here today? And we, we announced communion at least a week out, we let you know, our elders, we, we try to call people who are homebound to let them know we're coming by to prepare their hearts as well. But it could be possible because preparation took place before this as well. There, there could have been a chance for them to lay these things aside, and yet for some reason when they get to this very intimate time with the Lord, there are still those things in their hearts. So could it happen today as well? Could greed be in our hearts? Could there be an issue of, I think I know more than somebody else, or I, in some way, by saying that, am better than somebody else? Or maybe I didn't, didn't get the recognition that I want? As I look at John 13, I see a mirror that points right at me and says, Murray, where is your heart with the Lord today? And I hope that as we look at this, you'll say the same thing, because before we partake of these emblems, it's a time for us to just look inward and to have our hearts right with the Lord. But it comes through humility that that takes place. A willingness to recognize that I may look it, but I don't necessarily have it all together, especially if I'm not connected with the Lord. And so John 13 says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. So John 13, verse 1, 
has this preamble that basically points out Jesus' love for them even before that service was present there. And now during that service, he begins to show them the full extent of his love. The full extent. Verse 2. It says, supper was ended. Which, now if you look at that one phrase, there's something wrong here, isn't there? Supper is now ended and the act of hospitality and foot washing has to be commenced by Jesus. The supper finished, and yet nobody would lower themselves to take someone else's sandals off their feet, to rinse their feet with water, to refresh them, if you will, which was supposed to take place at the beginning of the service. Nobody will lower themselves to do that. Imagine Jesus, there he is, Conscious divinity knows from the time of childhood, we were talking about Adventist education, he knows from that time in the temple debating with the rabbis and that time when his parents left him behind, he knows from that point on his mission that he is the Lamb of God. He's, he's got this conscious divinity and yet here he is watching his disciples enact a very service that points to him. They've gone through the whole meal and they won't wash each other's feet. And yet, it says here in verse 2, the devil was in the room. He put into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from the supper, lays aside his garments, takes off his outer robe. So there he is. He basically has undergarments, maybe something, a shirt of some kind, but, or something not. He takes a towel then and wraps it around himself pours this water into a basin, begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel where he was girded, that was wrapped around his waist. So imagine two individuals especially, the ones, one of the ones who was supposed to take care of all the preparations, and for whatever reason, they didn't get a servant or they themselves didn't want to be the servant. That's one individual in this, now being shamed by the example of Jesus. And then you have those who have been bickering. And you, all you have to do is compare the Gospels to see. There was the question, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven that, that day? And yet Jesus shows them who the greatest is. The servant. The one who is willing to lay down their pride. The one who is willing, because of all people, he could have been prideful, right? His human nature, the devil took him up onto a place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he didn't need the devil to give them to him. He was going to take them back right? Through the cross. He could have been very prideful. I made all of these things. I made you. I called you by name. I changed your name, Cephas. But you have none of that. You find a silent rebuke comes from Jesus in the very action of washing their feet. It's no wonder that we don't find that question arising from this point on, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Because he just showed them. There he is preparing to die and he serves them one last time beforehand. So he wipes their feet with the towel. He comes to Simon Peter in verse 6. Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you don't know now, or you know us not now, but thou shalt know afterwards. You, it will really dawn on you in the future. Peter said to him, You'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I, wash, if I do not wash thee, thou hast no part with me. 
And Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he that is washed, basically, you don't need to wash anything but your feet. You're clean, all parts of you. And you are clean, but not all of you. So there is a somber occasion. Well, actually, in the Israelite society, it's my understanding that there would have been some kind of celebratory parts of this as well about the Passover, the freedom in God, the solemnness and the freedom. And yet, here he is. He's gone around to each one of them. And imagine him going around to each one of us, washing your feet, looking in the eye and saying, especially if you were in the Judas seat, especially if you thought you were better than somebody else, especially if you were still angry at somebody and you were eating that meal. And he says, they're not all clean. Now, he'd be talking to you, wouldn't he? If you had something there between you and the Lord. You're not all clean. And we oftentimes apply that just to Judas, that he's the one that was unclean, that betrayal was in his heart, and he would leave, eventually go into the night, and, and he's the one that wasn't clean, even though he was washed. And that's true. Judas was not cleansed by the very humble act of the Savior. In fact, if you find some records, he seems repulsed by Jesus receiving the perfume from Mary, receiving, in essence, uh, humble acts, himself doing humble acts, lifting up the lepers, lifting up these people. You find if you look throughout the texts, and especially in the book Desire of Ages, he's repulsed by this very act of humility. So we know Judas is not clean. And we typically say, well, I'm not Judas, so this doesn't apply to me. Get the feeling of the room. Is there anything between you and somebody else? Is there somebody that you just, for whatever reason, when you think of them, your heart rate goes up? Maybe the incident keeps replaying in your mind? Maybe you've even lost sleep over it. If there's something between you and somebody else, then you're not clean. And then you can fill in the blank as to what that would be. If there's something between you and the Lord, you're not clean and neither am I. So this was a time, at, at, as Jesus is speaking these words, for them to look and to basically check themselves. And they could be clean. That was the point. I can wash you of that. I can take care of that. That relationship that you think is somehow beyond repair, I can repair that. That sin that you have cherished and you've nurtured and the greed and all of these different things that were going on in that room, I can deal with those. The fact that you would even betray me as your Lord Jesus as you read this text, I can forgive and help you with that. I will even call you friend when you come to betray me. He's offering to cleanse them with more than just the water. And that's why we still practice foot washing as a Seventh-day Adventist church. It's because it's, we know it's more than just the water. It's just like baptism. It's more than just the water. It's got to be something that's attached to your heart. It's a symbol of an inward conviction when we partake of these things. And Jesus knows that. He's just washed them. Physically, they are all clean. They've all been washed by the water. But they're not all clean inward. So he knows that he's got to go beyond 
just the physical to the spiritual root of the problem. He goes on, verse 11, you are not all clean. And so after he'd washed their feet, had taken his garments, was set down again, you can imagine just no one bickering at that point. He said to them, know you what I've done to you? Do you realize what I've done to you? You call me master and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. You should do as I have done to you. And you would think Judas would jump up at that point and get the water basin and wash Jesus' feet. Is there even a record of Jesus getting his feet washed? Other than by that, we have that one account of, of the uh, woman with the perfume. Now, I don't know if this is exactly the exact time this is taking place, but is there any record of them jumping up and washing his feet? Anybody washing Jesus' feet? Judas, of all people, who had betrayal in his heart, had the opportunity to wash Jesus' feet, and he didn't do it. I've given you this example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy or blessed are you if you do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures may be fulfilled. He that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me, has, is going to betray me. Now I tell you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you will believe that I am he, or in the Greek, I am. That's a whole sermon in of itself, the great I am. Here he is telling them, I've made this whole world. I formed your first parents from the dust of the earth. I breathe into their nostrils a breath of life. I created all the beautiful things you see. I'm the lamb that the sacrifice points to. I'm the one who provided freedom from bondage. All these I am statements of the Old Testament, I am. Who sent you? Tell them I am has sent you, Moses has said. So he takes the very Passover language and he applies it to himself. I'm the God who instituted this whole Passover service. And verily, verily, I say to you, he that receives whomever I send receives me. And he that receives me receives him that sent me. What does all this mean? Well, we know in the Old Testament, especially in Ezekiel chapter 36, that God looked forward to a day when he would be able to cleanse his people. And here Jesus comes himself, not just sprinkling water on them, not just, not just this idea of the Spirit coming down, but he himself physically washing their feet, telling them he is the one, their Lord and their Master and the I Am himself who does this for them. What does this all mean? It basically means, can you imagine after he's washed everybody's feet, no one's bickering anymore? They're all one, if you will, in Christ. They're all seen as equal. They've all been cleansed by the Savior. They're all, this is oneness in water. And if the story ended there, you'd think, wow, that was an interesting object lesson. We know the betrayal takes place. And if you go down to John 19, you find the oneness in water concept again. John 19. We're told this is the great monument of mercy. This place where the results 
of the dirty heart of Judas are played out. The dirty hearts of the religious leaders are played out. The betrayal even of Peter walking away from his Messiah are played out. We're told this in the crucifixion. John 19, verse 17. Jesus was bearing his cross. He went forth to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him on either side and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title, when read by many of the Jews, the title then was read by many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. It's a whole sermon just there of how Jesus would be crucified at a time when the, this language, of the, even of his inscription, would be taken to languages beyond that local place. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Don't write king of the Jews, but he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Soldiers begin to mock Jesus. They begin, if you're watching here, they divide his clothing. They begin spitting upon him, beating him. And right in the midst of all this, Jesus still humbly ministers to those around him. Look down in verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, that's John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. And after Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, his mission was complete. He said, I thirst. Now there was a set of vessels full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, or he gave up his breath. That in and of itself is a humble act. He would not allow anything to cloud his mind while the mission was yet to be accomplished. He waits until it's all finished. Then he partakes of that. Anesthesia, if you will. In verse 31, the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, Sabbath was drawing nigh, it was going to be a high Sabbath, right? That the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. They seek Pilate, that the legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came out blood and water. And he that saw it bears record, and his record is true. In other words, an eyewitness is writing this account you're reading here today. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. And when we talk about the emblems, it really shouldn't say his body which was broken for us because he wasn't broken. He was pierced for us. His body was bruised for us. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. But they come to him and they, can you imagine being the soldier? You're tasked with breaking these guys' legs, basically either ending their lives or throwing them back. I mean, there's different things you could do with them after that. 
And you come up to this guy whom nature has already testified through darkness, through, through basically noonday sun being blotted out. And you pierce his side, and out comes the water and the blood. You know he's dead. It's a clear indication from science you could look into it. But all the other things added to it. He's dead already. What really killed the Savior? You can look up some research on this. You'll find more than likely he had a premature death, and some link it to the, the load that was placed upon him, our sins that were placed upon him, starting in Gethsemane, eventually crushing his life out. Basically, he lays down his life at those last moments. And out comes the water and the blood. That shows oneness in water as well, because as we look at this, we're his bride, aren't we? Just like Adam and Eve, when, they were, when Adam was created, God takes and opens up his side, forms his bride out of what's brought out of his side. Here, those who look to the cross are believers in Jesus who say, you know what, all these things took place so that I could be forgiven. This is my Lord. This is my Savior. The bride finds her fulfillment in looking to the Savior who died for her on the cross. And that's where the water and the blood comes out. And since we're all part of that, we are all one in Christ. We are all equal in Christ Jesus. Well, if that's where it ended, I would just pause right there. But as you look at this idea of water and the blood, I was researching it, and it went over to 1 John chapter 5, our scripture reading, and I noticed something there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. This oneness in water idea. That somehow we can be cleansed, but that cleansing isn't just complete with the idea of a foot washing. It's also we get to look to the cross. And here in 1 John chapter 5, tells us whoever believes that Jesus Christ is, Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loves him that begat loveth him and also is born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. They don't bring about destruction and torment, if you will. They bring about something joyful, don't they? Verse 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. But notice what they link the faith to. Who is he that overcomes the world? He that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ? The Messiah that all scriptures point to? Do you believe that he's the Son of God? God incarnate, right here with us? Goes on. This is he that came by water and blood. He came by water and blood. We know he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. That's water. But he also comes by the blood. He dies for us. He lives that perfect life for us, that life of righteousness. He dies that death that we deserve. And John doesn't just stop there. This Jesus is alive. And it is the Spirit that bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. That's a pretty close idea of a triuneness there. And these three are one. So this plan of Jesus coming by the water and the blood and then offering cleansing for us 
And then the blood, water and blood, close to the cross, right? And then water and blood at the cross. So he's cleansing us by the foot washing, cleansing us at the cross by his blood that's shed for us, and then that blood and water flow out. This is the one that this is talking about. And these are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in oneness. So the Holy Spirit brings us, brings us to mind. When we read the story of Judas, we look in the mirror and say, am I needing a cleansing from Jesus today of some kind? It may just be the, the hedonism of the United States, the busyness of life. I mean, come on, guys. It's really hectic sometimes, isn't it? And it could be that there was a day or something during this week where you didn't slow down and spend that time that the Holy Spirit prompted you to. It could be something so seeming, seemingly small as that. But you know, that turns into a huge thing later if we don't allow the Lord to cleanse us of that. It could be these things that the disciples struggle with, the anger, the lust, the greed, the comparing to each other. Whatever it is, Jesus comes and through the Holy Spirit says, look to the water, look to the blood. You can find cleansing and true value and meaning through that. And if this was the last place the water was mentioned, of course, we could stop here, couldn't we? But it's not. In fact, if you keep reading, it says, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son of God, you do not have life. And John, later on in Revelation, writes something that the church is supposed to do. In Revelation 22, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Drink the water of life freely. This is a place to know Jesus. It's also a place to go from and to tell others about Jesus and to share that water of life. And so we have oneness in water. We have, we're all needing to be cleansed by the humility. We're all needing to look to the cross to have our sins cleansed. We're all needing to share then that beautiful message of Jesus with those around us because that's the only way. That's the only way this world's going to get any better before it gets worse. And so we are all one in Christ. We look to Jesus. We're washed by Jesus. And then we tell others how they can be cleansed by Jesus. And in that, we are united. If we neglect any of the, the preparatory before we humble ourselves, and we need to humble ourselves, have our sins cleansed, then share. Because what's going to happen is if you share before those things take place, typically, you know, you'll share. I'm not saying you can't. But we need to have this constant reminder of we need Jesus every day. We need to be cleansed by him every day. And that makes a powerful witness for the Lord. That makes the water that you're offering look living rather than stagnant. And so we have this message of oneness in water. Today, when we do the foot washing, I want you to remember, and I'm going to try to remember myself, that if there's anything between me and somebody else, I want to have that cleansed away. And I would suggest, you know, before you even wash someone else's feet, you go to that person and talk to them. Now, don't keep the whisper thing behind the back going. Talk to the person. They can't read your thoughts. I was reading a whole doctoral book on, on communication this week, and, and people just don't read your thoughts. And they don't need to get it through the grapevine. They need to hear it through you. So if that's taking place, anything between you and somebody else, deal with that. If something is taking place between you and the Lord that, that has, has made it feel like there's a barrier of some kind, just take a quiet moment before you even leave the sanctuary and say, Lord, can you please, can you please help me with this? And just name it to him in, in private prayer. And then partake of the foot washing. 
Serve somebody else and be served. And when as your feet are being washed, and mine are pretty clean, but as that, as that black, uh, you know, as the sock stuff goes flying away from your feet, just say to him, Lord, figuratively, I'm washing, I'm having you wash my other things away as well. I'm acting out my belief that I've just prayed with you and prayed with somebody else about. And I want to have that oneness with you through this water. And then when we come back and we have the bread and the juice, then that's focusing on the second part of this idea, the water of life that we share with those around us until he comes. This is focusing on the second coming. This is a glorious, should be a happy occasion when we, when we partake of these emblems because we want to share and have everybody be served so they can be at that beautiful table with us when Jesus comes. So I'm going to have a word of prayer and then we're going to divide up for our foot washing. And if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you believe Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, we invite you to participate with us. And if there's something between you and the Lord that's kind of hindering you, I would, like I said, have that quiet time with him, but participate with us. We want to have this oneness with Jesus today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. He knew in conscious divinity what he was doing. And he says we'll be happy and blessed if we do the same. But yet, Lord, I think there could be hindrances. And so, Lord, if there's something between me and you or me and somebody else, uh, if there's something between any one of us and, and somebody else or you, Lord, we pray that you can make, bring that to mind. You can cleanse of, us of that. And then when we go through the foot washing and the emblems, it will be a joyous time with you. Knowing, knowing that we have the assurance of salvation because of you. And so, Lord, bless this time together. And help us to experience your oneness and your cleansing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.